Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Jesus came to bring the presence of God to us. You know, the whole thing about the incarnation, him coming, he came to bring the presence of God to us in a brand new, fresh and exciting way. You'll remember the verse, we read it every Christmas time. It's one of my favorite verses because it's what our church is named for. It's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. So God was present in Jesus in a way that he could not be present before. Think about it. The Israelites, how did they know the presence of God? They saw the pillar of fire, the glory cloud, right? Thunder and lightning. That's how they recognized the presence of God. But here's Jesus, and he's God with us in a fresh new way, a way that God has not been able to be with his people before. Here's the thing. The Israelites knew him in the glory cloud and in the pillar of fire. But if that's what we're looking for, the pillar and the glory and all that all the time, we could miss him. Think about that. They missed him. He came, walked among them in the flesh, and they missed it. Why? Because they're looking for the king coming with thunder and glory and power. And they missed it. And here is Jesus, God with us. God in the flesh. I mean, scriptures are clear. Look at Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. You can't see God, but you can see God by looking at Jesus. Uh, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's an amazing thought right there, that in a man, the whole fullness of the Godhead can dwell in bodily form. I don't know how to get my mind around that, but if that's troubling for you, look at the next verse. For in, uh, and in, and you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority. You've been filled in him. That's the whole purpose of Jesus coming was to get God in you. Get you connected to God. And you know what? Here's the amazing thing. This is not presented in the scripture like it's a strange idea. This is not a weird thing in the mind of God. I mean, and why should it be strange? I mean, Adam and Eve were actually made in the image of God. So Jesus comes in the image of God, but I mean, he wasn't the first one made in the image of God. Adam and Eve were made, the Bible says, in the image of God, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He says it like three times. He's making a very specific point. God created man in his own image. So when Jesus came, he didn't come to us as some kind of extraterrestrial being, you know, or some kind of other high, higher order of life, you know. He came as a man. It was a role marked out for him from the beginning of time to come in the form of a man. So this idea that humans are capable of becoming one with God is not something new or even revolutionary in God's mind. It was what was uh, planned from the beginning. Come on, that's good, isn't it? But here's, you know, when Jesus came then, what he was doing was he was restoring humanity back into his presence. 
I want you to think about this. Just go with me for just a minute. Because humans were created in the image of God, like I just read, right? But when they sinned, they could no longer stand before God in his presence. And one of the saddest verses, I think, in the Bible has got to be Genesis 3 and 8. Look at it with me. 3 verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. They hid themselves from the God's presence among the trees in the garden. I mean, here they are. They sinned. They're naked. They realize their problem. And they're hiding from the only one who can help them because they're afraid. That's a tragedy, isn't it? Sorry to depress you on this Christmas day, or Christmas, Christmas season, rather. No, but I mean, this is why Jesus came, right? Not only to, to, to redeem us and save us from our sins, but he also wants to remove the effects that sins had on us. And one of the things that sin causes us to do is to shy away and back away from the presence of God. But when he touches you and his blood speaks that better word over you, you can come boldly to the throne of grace now and find mercy and help in time of need. We don't have to thank God. Come on. Thank God. We don't have to shy away from his presence any longer. Praise God. So they're hiding themselves among the trees and, and, uh, you know, in their sin and brokenness, they hid themselves from the only one who could help. And broken people are still hiding themselves from God today. No, they're not hiding in the bushes in the edge of the garden somewhere. They're hiding behind their reason and their logic and their science and anything that they can use as an excuse to make them not have to come into God's presence. But they're still hiding. Same thing. Hiding from the Lord's presence. And so Jesus came to undo Adam's sin, right? He came to to, to bear the penalty, to bear it away, and he came to remove the effects of sin and restore us back to his presence. So it's fitting that the prophet Isaiah would describe Jesus when he looked at Jesus's ministry in the spirit 700 years before Jesus came. He said, what? That they'll call him Emmanuel because in him, God will be with us. God with us. Because if you were with Jesus when he walked the earth, if you could be close to Jesus, you are restored to the presence of God, just like that. And he didn't reject them. He didn't turn them away. He didn't hate them. He loved them. He helped them. If you could be with Jesus, you know, if you were there with Jesus, you were with God. Think about that. If you were with Jesus, you were with God. If you were in Jesus's presence, you were in God's presence. If you could get to Jesus, you could get to God. Think about the people trying to get to God, to, to Jesus, the woman with the issue of blood, right? Jairus, the synagogue ruler, after his daughter was sick and, and, and dying, he's trying to get to Jesus. They're all trying to get to Jesus. The blind man on the side of the road calling out to Jesus. Everybody's trying to get to Jesus. Why? Because the man with the withered hand, you know, if they could get to Jesus, they could get to God. So let me ask you this. Why is this presence of God so important? I'm glad you asked. No, I asked, didn't I? Well, you tell me that. No. Um, why is the presence of God important? Because we won't get very far as a church without the presence of God among us. We just won't. We won't go, you know, you won't go very far as a Christian without the presence of God in your life. 
It's not just about us coming together as a church. You're supposed to be carrying the presence of God with you everywhere you go. I mean, come on, we're a church, man. We get to come together and and we make up each other's lacks when we come together. You know, uh, and, and each joint, the Bible talks about, you know, us being a body and we're held together by that which each joint supplies. But could you imagine being Jesus? He didn't have that, man. It was just him. And he's had to stand there alone and carry the presence of God to the people. He didn't have somebody who could prop him up. I mean, Peter gets a big revelation, and the next thing you know, Jesus is rebuking him, calling him a devil, right? You know, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. No, you can't go and do that crucifying stuff. Get behind me. He, he was alone. He had no encouragement, no help, right? Thank God we have each other. But even then, when you go out and find yourself at times alone, you are still a carrier of the presence of God. And we need to be give that uh, precedent. We need to give that attention in our lives. We need to make room for that reality. Throughout the scriptures, you'll see the phrase, the hand of the Lord was with them. You ever hear that, you know, when they were building the temple, especially like Nehemiah and uh, um, who's the other guy, uh, Ezra, it's saying the good hand of the Lord was with me. I'm going to read you one verse from Acts, and it's uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19, and it's after the church is being scattered in verse 19 because of the persecution. Um, remember, Stephen was killed, and so they spread out, and they're traveling to these cities, and they're speaking the word to no one except Jews. In verse 20, it says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. In verse 21, this is what I want to get to. And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand, can I say that with me? The hand of the Lord was with them. And what's the next uh, clause there? And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A great number. Why? Because the hand of the Lord was with them. They were, they were not able to do that on their own. Right? I mean, Jesus said, don't even go till you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and power because he knew that the presence of God would have to be with them to accomplish what he called them to do. And it's no different from us. If we're going to accomplish his goals as a church or even as individuals, uh, we have got to have his hand with us. We've got to be uh, yielding to his presence among us, right? We cannot possibly accomplish what he has for us to accomplish without him being present with us and working with us. We've got to recognize that we can't do it without his presence. But thank God we're not without it. You know, in his presence, the Bible says so many good things. You'll find strength in his presence, joy in his presence. Vindication comes from his presence. I didn't even remember that verse. Vindication comes from his presence. Favor and rest are in his presence. And that's probably why it tells us in First Chronicles 16.1 and also the same same. Uh, uh, exact same verses in Psalms. It says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. If there's one thing that we're always supposed to be doing, it's seeking his presence. But I can think of three. Doesn't it say rejoice in the Lord always? And doesn't it say pray continually? Well, now here's another one. Seek his presence continually. The cool thing is we can pray, be joyful, and seek his presence all at the same time. So what is the presence of the Lord? What is it, you know, when we're actually, what are we actually supposed to be seeking? You know, I'm very careful. Some of you may have noticed um, when I pray beginning a service or something, I very rarely uh, say, oh, God, please come. Please come and meet us here today. I don't. I, and that, that's on purpose for me. It's, it's my thing. 
Um, there's different ways to say what I'm trying to articulate. But for me, I, I find it better to acknowledge his presence among us, to trust his promise. He said he'd never leave me or forsake me. He's with me. Even if he's not with you, he's with me already. But when he's with you, you come here. We all carry the presence and the glory of God, right? So, so that's why I do that. I mean, it's just, it's my thing. It's how I like to articulate it. You know, we're always trying to communicate or think of God in fresh new ways, right? But so what do we mean though, when we say God come or God be with me or God, you know, what, what are we actually uh, meaning? What are we really saying? You know, King David said something like this when Psalm 51, 11, he said, he's praying and he's repenting and he says to God, cast me not away from your presence. You know, what's he saying? Don't, don't kick me away from your presence. What's that mean? Because I mean, are we really saying that the God of the universe, who is everywhere, who fills all things, somehow come and be physically with me? Or, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, puzzle for the mind, isn't it? Because this same David who says, cast me not away from your presence, he's the one who wrote Psalm 139 where it says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Where can I go? I mean, if I go in the wings of the morning to the other most parts of the earth, even there your hand will guide me. He knew he could not escape the presence of God. So what are we talking about when we talk about the presence of God? Because the presence of God is not geophysical or geographical. It's not a specific place to be, but the presence of God is relational. The presence of God is relational. You know, have you ever been with somebody, right? And, you know, even though you're physically present with them, they're, they're somewhere else. It's really bad today with, um, phones and tablets for some, you know, for two people to be sitting there next to each other and not even be, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's worse to, I mean, it's worse today than it's ever been. Um, but even, even without a tablet, you know, somebody can be sitting right next to you and it's like, man, you are here, but you are not here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if you're married, you know, when, when I was dating Rin Kim, I mean, she's 9,000 miles away in India. I mean, we talk all the time. We were close and then we get married and kids come and she's got her work and I've got my work and we're doing all this stuff and we live in the same house, but we feel like we're sometimes 9,000 miles apart. Why? Because it's not, uh, presence is a relational thing. It's not a physical thing. Right? We can do this with God as well. How many have done your devotions just so you could get the box checked. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But were you really there? Just asking, you know, think, I mean, we've all done it. I mean, you know, we're getting ready. Uh, I'm going to probably do in the first of the year, um, uh, this, this year again, our 21 days of prayer and feasting where I have the little Bible reading card. I love, you know, reading through the gospels and the book of Acts, the New Testament history, basically at the first of the year. And so I'm going to pass those out and I'll encourage you. I know many of you, uh, you might have your own Bible reading plan that you're beginning for the year. And if you want to do that, by all means do so, but I'm going to share this again and I'm going to encourage those who would like to participate to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. But, you know, the goal is not to just get through and check the box, is it? The goal is to spend time with him. Sure, you, you read it, you checked the box, but did you, did, you, did you connect with him? Did you commune with him? Were you present? You know, we expect him to be present. But the question is, were you present? You know, and if that's the case, man, slow down, cut that thing in half, you know? 
If you get in a verse and the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you, meditate on that verse. You don't have to rush through it. The important thing is to be with the Lord, amen? To honor his presence. So the uh, presence of the Lord then is relational. James 4 and 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double. You know, you want to be close to God? This verse says that you can initiate it. You can draw, you can make a decision to do things that would draw you close to God, to give him your affections, to give him your attention. And you can initiate that. I'd like to go to um, Exodus chapter 33. This is that great discussion that God had with Moses. And uh, I just want to look at a few things here um, about the presence of God with you. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. Mo Moses is pretty bold to talk to God. I mean, you got to love how he talks to God. And it didn't bother God either. You know, the, none of this was stupid questions to God. He answered him. God, Moses talked to God face to face. And he says, you've not let me know who you're going to send. He says, you said, I know you by name. And uh, you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order so that I can have favor in your sight. If I found favor in your sight, show me your ways so I can know you so I can have favor in your sight. That's a good prayer. It really is a good prayer. And then, he, uh, you know, uh, this is something that we should be praying. God, show me your ways. So I can find favor in your sight, so I can accomplish your will, so I can do the things you've called me to do. And, he, and Moses goes on, he says, for these are your people. He knew he was serving God. Moses wasn't doing this for Moses. Moses was pretty content at the time just to be over on the other side of the desert herding sheep. And, you know, sometimes uh, there's a contentment just doing what I do. I'm good. Don't bother me with this stuff. But then God calls you and says, I want you to I want to put you to work for me. And what do you do? You go, okay, Moses, you know, Moses, go to work for me. All right. You said I found favor. Who are you going to send with me? <laughs> you know? Okay. If I found favor, then show me what you're thinking, what you're doing, so I can do it right, so I can find favor in your sight. God's will is not supposed to be a mystery to us all the time. I know we've got the saying, God works in mysterious ways, his blessings to, how does it say that? His God works in, I think I wrote it. His wonders to perform, that's it, God works. Do you know that's not a Bible verse? It's not. It doesn't say that in the Bible at all. The Bible, you cannot find the phrase, God works in mysterious ways in the Bible. If you don't know him, his ways are very mysterious. But if you're walking with him, we should be coming more and more familiar with his ways. They're not a secret. He's revealed them to us in Jesus. We're supposed to know something about his character and nature as we walk with him and learn from him. I mean, there are things that are not our immediate nature. Don't get me wrong, especially when we're starting out. But we should come to a place. We should be progressing in our Christian life where his ways, you know, that was weird, man. You know, the idea of giving money or something in, in my own time of need, that's crazy, man. That's not how the world, you, no, no. You go get on a Dave Ramsey budget and you count every nickel. That's, that's not normal. But when you've done it a few times, it's not a strange thing to you anymore. When God's met your needs, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, we can become familiar with his ways. And we're supposed to be. 
They're not supposed to be mysterious. And you know, this is what Moses said to God, show me your ways. And over in Psalm 103, verse seven, it says that he has made his known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. This prayer was answered. This request of Moses was answered. God showed Moses his ways. And it says in Micah 6, 8, that he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. His ways are not supposed to be mysterious. You know, the more you know him, the more you realize he's the most predictable person in the world. He didn't hide anything. You know, he said, I'm going to send you, Jesus comes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, save the people. I'm going to give you a new heart. Everything he keeps saying, I mean, he's, he's written so much and he just keeps doing it because he does what he says he'll do. I've made known the end from the beginning, he says. So you just have to hear what he says in the beginning and that's what the end's going to be. You know, we, we can spend, you know, people have made great ministry, great careers, great Christian careers, uh, teaching revelation. And, 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 you know, we talk about the mysteries in Revelation, but for crying out loud, the name of the book is called Revelation, not the hidden. It's not the mystery. God's, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out and what the symbol means, symbolism means all the time, but for real, he's going to, it's going to play out exactly like he says. And we're all going to be in a good place around the throne and that multitude that you see, you know, we're going to be part of that new heaven and new earth. It's going to be good, man. I'm not worried about it. The revelation should bring us great comfort, especially in crazy times when we look like we're beginning as a, as a culture to live through them. You know, uh, I'm going to leave it there, but you know what I'm saying? We're starting to see the craziness take great comfort in those last chapters in the book, you know, the marriage supper of the land, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down. Come on, it's good. So where was I? (laughs) Moses said, show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. This is a prayer that we should be praying as well. But look at this. Moses starts off in verse 12. He says, you have not let me know who you will send with me. And he answers it. Look at this in verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you. My presence. Isn't that good? You sent me, but you've not let me know who you're going to go with me. And God says, I'm going with you. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Isn't that good? And he says, and I will give you rest. This is that rest that the book of Hebrews actually talks about, that there remains a rest for the people of God because Israel failed to really enter into the rest. They entered into the land, but they never entered into the rest that God truly had for them. And that's only found for me and you and Jesus. So the book of Hebrews deals with that. But here, Moses is, God is saying to Moses, I'll go with you. My presence will go with you and you will find rest. And in verse 15, he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I and your people, if it's not in your going with us, listen to this, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. He said, we are like everybody else. We're no different than any other nations except for one thing. Your presence with us. You take away your presence from this nation, they are like every other people. There is nothing special about them. Nothing. But if your presence is with us, me and your people, we will be distinct. We will be different from the other nations. We will be separate from the rest of the world. 
Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other nation? See, we're not supposed to be like everybody else, are we? We're supposed to be distinct. We're supposed to be different. The basic idea here is holiness, right? Holiness is separation. It's to be separated from the world unto God's purpose. You know, we're useful to God to the extent that we're willing to separate ourselves from the interests of the world and take up his interests. In the second Timothy chapter two, it talks about the, the, in the great house, there are many, um, uh, many vessels of gold and silver, you know, honorable vessels, also wood of clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself here again, he's telling us we can initiate this. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, distinguished. You'll be a distinguished vessel set apart as holy, useful for the master of the house, ready. Come on, say ready, ready for every good work. God uses people who are ready because he comes and says, come on, who's going to go? And he goes and those who are ready go. I mean, that's how it's going to be in the end. Remember the story of the um, uh, uh, the, the virgins and the lamps, right? And, and when the bridegroom they came out and said the bridegroom's ready, those who were ready were the ones who got to go in. Those who are ready are the ones who get to go and run with God. Those who are ready are the ones who get used by God. We need to be ready. God uses those who are ready. But holiness is not just separation from the world. Understand this, because there are, there are people who don't fit in to the world but doesn't mean they're holy. Okay, yeah. You can go there if you want. You know that person, don't you? <laughs> they're just different. <laughs> they don't fit in. They're separated from the world, but they're not necessarily separated what? Unto God. Holiness is separation from the world unto God for his purposes. And it's ultimately the presence of God that sets us apart. It's the presence of God on your life that will set you apart. And then look at verse 17. God says to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. It's almost a repeat of the first verse because God promised all these things. They had this conversation and then he ends up saying, I know you by name. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, many will come to me that day and they say, Lord, we did all these things. He says, I don't know you. Man, God knew Moses by name. He could call him Moses. Can God call your name? Does he know you by name? Does his presence reside on you? Seek his presence. Seek that relationship with him where you allow his presence to have that place in your life. Amen. The continued presence of God is something that we see in the ministry of Jesus. I find this to be very interesting. If you look with me at the Great Commission, we read this. I read all. I read every verse of the Great Commission uh, a few weeks ago, but I want to read it here with a look at the presence of God. Um, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Jesus came to them, and said, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold." I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. This is interesting to me because this is a promise from Jesus that he'll never leave you. He'll always be with you until the end of the age. But this is interesting to me because this aspect of his ministry, think about it, was not possible when he was walking on the earth. 
This is an aspect of his ministry that is only done through the Spirit after he goes to the Father, right? Because when he was on the earth, if Jesus wasn't where you were, you had to go look for him. That's why we see his parents looking for him when he stayed behind, right? We see um, in the book of John, uh, he's in the temple and the crowds were expecting him and he hadn't come yet. So they were looking for him. When he walked across the water and they knew they counted the boats and they knew that there wasn't enough boats to take him, uh, they were looking for him, right? Jesus would slip, slip away early in the mornings to go pray by himself and the disciples would go looking for him. They were, why? Because he wasn't there. He could only be in one place at a time. He wasn't everywhere. He was limited that way to being in a special place. So the fullest expression then of Emmanuel, God with us, was not something that Jesus actually did in his earthly ministry. Think about that. It kind of parallels his ministry as baptizer in the Holy Spirit. You know, every gospel starts off saying he's going to be the one baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. And you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you don't see him baptizing anybody with the Holy Spirit until he goes to the right hand of the Father and pours out the Spirit. And, and they says, they shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. Well, if you were with him physically at that place, um, yeah, God, he was being with God. It truly was. But the fullest expression of I'll never leave you or forsake you, Emmanuel, God with us, is Jesus's ministry at the right hand of the Father. Again, through the Holy Spirit. He is ever present with us. He's an ever present help in time of need. Man, thank him for his presence right now. So the Bible talks about times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it talks about um, uh, Peter's preaching. He says, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come where? From the presence of the Lord. Isn't that good? We're refreshed in his presence. And then he says, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Now listen to this, what it says in 21. Whom heaven must receive, talking about Jesus, heaven must receive him until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke about through the prophets, okay? Listen to this. There is a time, singular time, for the restoring of all things. But until that time happens, there will be many times, plural, of refreshing right? What we experience of God now is not the fulfill, fullness of what we'll experience then on that day, right? But even now, he gives us the Holy Spirit as an earnest, as a deposit. We taste the powers, the book of Hebrews says, of that age to come right now in this present age. He is sending us refreshing. It's kind of like, you know, if you're, um, I used to run um, a decade ago, and I would run some long races. I do half marathons. I even did one marathon, a full marathon. And, you know, you're running and you're thinking about, man, that Gatorade is going to be good. <laughs> or I'm going to reward myself. You know, I'm thinking of my favorite restaurant that I'm going to go to, you know, after this run because I've earned it, right? And you're thinking about that. But, you know, you stop at a water station <laughs> and you get refreshed on the way. Right. It's not the full course, but boy, it's a, it's a refreshing when you're thirsty and tired. It's refreshing. I'm telling you what. And God wants to give us times of refreshing, but we have to give place. We have to give attention to his spirit. And what I want to do is I want to go ahead and um, receive communion together today. And as we do, I just want to take um, I want to be intentional about recognizing 
his presence among us. Recognize. Let's just enjoy as we kick off this Christmas season. Let's enjoy a time of refreshing, shall we? Together. And so I'm going to just move this over here and uh, just give me a, just a second to kind of set it up. When we, when we partake of the communion today, let's be aware that we're also partaking of his spirit. Let's commune with God. Let's fellowship with God. Because there's contentment in his presence. There's peace in his presence. There's joy in his presence. Amen.